Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Today's scripture comes from Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. Let mutual love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing that some have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those who are in prison as though you were in prison with them, those who are being tortured as though you yourselves were being tortured. Let marriage be held in honor by all, and let the marriage bed be kept undefiled. For God will judge fornicators and adulterers. Keep your lives free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Tamara and everyone. Welcome to the last Sunday in August. We are in ordinary times, sometimes known as common times, sometimes known as the season of Pentecost. Uh, We are in a a time, part of the year that I actually kind of like. Football season is on its way, all God's people said. Yes. And uh, which means that, uh, you know, fantasy football has come around. Amen. And, uh, you know, Sooner Nation had their draft last night. You're probably aware of it. probably heard about it on the news. We had our draft last night. Uh, I think the league has been around 26 some odd years. That was my 24th draft. I started when I was six years old. Uh, really enjoyed that. I mean, that's, it's one of those times I really, really enjoy it. There, there are folks in the room who have been friends for literally decades, decades. There are folks in the room um, that I have so many memories with, some of which I can tell, right? Uh, It's just always, it's almost like when we get together, the football part's the least important part. Um, Now, nearly all those folks used to be in church, and only half of them are anymore. And I always leave that place don't tell them I'm talking about them, okay? I won't give you their names. But I always leave that draft, and on my way home, I'm always thinking, what happened? I mean, one's been minister. Uh, a couple have been very key, they're key, key cogs in what we have done here, and uh, just not around. What, what happened? I don't know. It haunts me every year. But it also becomes another good reason to stay connected because I, I, do, I do believe that they are good people and I do believe that, that some of the things that we have to offer here would be good for them. I, I believe that. And so my hope is that as Jason and I and Coach Shane are a part and Jeff Logan are a part of that same, that same group that somehow there would be something about our operation as human beings that would allow them to warm again, warm again, to be warmed again to the possibility 
of faith. Do you know anybody like that? Do you, do you know anybody who used to be super involved? Uh, if we were to use the metaphor of warmth, do you know anybody who used to be super warm, maybe even, maybe even hot, as it had to do with the very function of faith? But over a period of time, I mean, it seems to have lost, something was lost, and now they're gone. Um, I hope you do know somebody like that. Not, not because I hope you're the reason. I don't hope that you're the reason that that has happened. But I do hope that you know somebody like that because I think, I think, I think it's good for us to continue to be an alternative thought. Because, and you probably already know this, there's a fresh round of numbers out there. Folks are, folks are not coming back to church post-pandemic. Folks are wandering away from faith. And a lot of it has to, I, I think a lot of it belongs in the I'm disenchanted category. A lot of it belongs in the, I, I really thought <clears throat> faith would be something better, something more than what it is. There are a lot of folks who believe, I don't know where they get it, but a lot of folks who believe that the function of faith ought to uh, improve the quality of life for everybody involved. Where do they get that stuff? I don't know. The Bible, maybe. But I, I worry sometimes that we have thought and maybe to some extent still think that our arrival at this scene is the fullest extent of what we mean when we say faith. Does your appearance in the room today qualify as faith? Yes. Does your appearance in the room today complete the cycle of faith? No. Is what we do when we gather of crucial importance? Yes, because what we are doing here today is training people hopefully, shaping people in all kinds of ways. Yes, with the word spoken, but yes, also with the word sung that we all sing together. Yes, with our rituals and our habits and our practices here. The point is to come here and to be shaped so that through us, God can shape it all. And anything short of that, can, let's, let me tell you where, anything short of that, I think, makes this into a faith that's, easier, that's easy to walk away from. I, I think I have sat with young people over a period of time, not just as in my role as youth pastor, but in my role as pastor. I think I have sat across the table from, from folks, and you can kind of hear it in their voices, you can hear it in the words that they choose for their questions, like, shouldn't faith be doing something more than just tell me I have to be good? Yeah, now, we should be good, right? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, I think, properly understood, good behavior is a part of the larger thing that God wants to do, so long as we understand the larger thing that God wants to do, which is to love everything back to God. It, it is the hope of God, it is the hope of God that all creation would be reconciled back to God. Anybody, can I get even one amen? Okay, I got, Jason's always good for an amen, I'm telling you what, he's good for it. Pretty good at fantasy football, too, I'll tell you. <laughs> but I don't know that there is a chance for the rest of the world to be reconciled back to God if you and I aren't the means of communicating the dream of God for reconciliation. Which means 
right? Logically means that you and I need to find ourselves in situation, in situations and in relationships where that becomes a meaningful uh, contribution. Our being people of reconciliation. You know I love you. If you don't know I, I love you, you're not, you're not paying attention. But to you here and to you watching today, it, it, maybe faith is not a compelling thing for you. My suspicion is this because it's time for you to get out of the spectator seat and on to the field of life where faith happens. You got to get off the sidelines, folks. <laughs> faith experienced while on the sidelines is easy to walk away from. Here's the thing. And your kids will find that faith an easy faith to walk away from. You got to get off the sidelines. You got to stick that oar in the water. You need help. The cycle of faith is not completed until you are in the game. Putting into practice the shaping of what we hear here, what we are learning here, what we sing, what we pray. It's great to be here. But we are investing here in your lives outside of here. Does everybody understand that? The book of Hebrews understands that. The, the book of Hebrews is, uh, I mean, that's, Part of what the author of the book of Hebrews is trying to do is trying to convince the readers, uh, many of whom we think were in smallish Jewish Christian congregations that were so small that they were frightened and afraid of the larger culture. And the author is saying here, no, no, things are, are better than you think. Like we, we have this Jesus. We have this Jesus who is for us this great uh, intermediate between us and God. We have this Jesus who is ready to resource us to be the people of God. You can't stay behind the locked doors of your houses of worship. You've got to get out there. You've got to get out there. Yeah, but it's scary out there. Yes, yes, but all of that, even the places where it's most scary, all of that belongs to God. All of it belongs to God and all God's people said. What we do here is of crucial importance. What we do here is of crucial importance because it's here that we learn the steps, <laughs> the dance steps, let's say, to the dance that we're all supposed to be dancing out there for all to see. And the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, and that's what this passage is today. What, what should our lives look like when we try to live them outside of this space? Now, Sometimes I have seen and I have heard the book of Hebrews used in ways that I would call anti-Semitic. Let, let me explain what that, what that is. It, you are an anti-Semite if you hate Jewish folks for what they believe. And, and you, as a Christian, perhaps have completely forgotten that the faith that we enjoy was handed to us <laughs> by the people of God in the Old Testament. And, and we can't be who we are meant to be without them, without that story. And sometimes I've seen people use words like we're going to hear in the, in the book of Hebrews to say, we right, they're all wrong. God loves us, God doesn't love them. If you leave here today with even a twinge of anti-Semitism, you brought it with you. You're not going to hear it from me, okay? And I think you should take medication for that. You need to get rid of it, right? Matter of fact, 
had a great meeting this week at Temple B'nai Israel. This is the rabbi, new-ish rabbi, I guess. This is Rabbi Harris. And I got to be part, uh, we hosted this meeting a couple of months ago. They hosted it this time. It's a meeting of um, faith community leaders from across the city gathered by Columbia University to talk about why it is that our system of criminal justice is so broken. And it's not just, they're not just talking to faith leaders, they're talking to business leaders, elected leaders, they're talking to uh, popular influencers and people in education, people within law enforcement, they're talking to all of us, but our little subgroup is um, faith leadership. That is a, be- I don't know if you've ever been there, but that is a beautiful, beautiful facility. And that is an important congregation as it has to do with the health of Oklahoma City. The prior um, rabbis, a guy by the name of uh, Rabbi Pacman, was actually adjunct faculty at SNU for years and years and years. And taught, was a great man, great guy. And he led that place to be incredibly inclusive. They had a very important working relationship with Christ the King Catholic Church where they helped their young people to know what peace looks like. Uh, he actually organized a, a Thanksgiving service that included uh, Jewish folks and Catholic folks. Uh, let's see, um, Baha'i, Muslim, Hindu, Unitarian, people of all races and faiths were invited to this thing. And you may not know this, but for the last several decades, the NAACP awards have been co-sponsored by the Jewish folks. They're incredible. They're great, great people. So all that to say again, anti-Semitism is not only uh, demonstrative of a lack of education, sorry, but it is really counterproductive to the larger thing that God wants to do. Now, we're going to start off talking about empty ritual, but I would submit to us (laughs) that empty ritual is dangerous wherever you find it. And I would submit to us that Christians are also guilty of empty ritual. Anybody? I mean, let's say it again. There are tons of churches in Oklahoma, more per capita than all but two states in the country. And there are tons of churches in Oklahoma City, a city of our size, let's say 150,000 or more, more than any other big city in the country, but two cities in the country. We have all of these pastors and all of these Christians and all of these churches, and it's hard to find a measure of health, societal health, where we're not at the very bottom. We get empty ritual. Now, I don't know if you're supposed to say amen there or not, but <laughs> thank you for being supportive. So the problem here is not Judaism, it's empty ritual. It's empty ritual. The author of Hebrews is saying to this group of little, uh, these, these groups of Judeo-Christian communities, saying to them, let's not be the people who employ empty rituals. Our God is big in in Hebrews 12, 28. Since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us give thanks by which we offer to God an acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for indeed our God is a consuming fire. Have faith, have courage, be of good cheer. Do what you know this God is resourcing you to do. Now, this is an interesting phrase in here, acceptable worship with reverence and awe. 
the author of Hebrews is going to say that you can't complete this project of acceptable worship, including reverence and awe, in here. It is completed. It may have its beginnings in here, but it is completed out there. Which brings us to chapter 13. And actually, the entire text is 1 through 16, but it's like the lectionary does sometimes. It's a few verses at the beginning and then it's a couple of verses at the end. But I was especially struck, as was Dr. Tashin this week, by these verses that happen in the middle, the ones that weren't necessarily included in the reading. Take a look at these. It says, we have an altar from which those who officiate in the tent have no right to eat. Now, he's talking about the function of Jewish faith back, way back when. He said, now when they sacrifice the bodies of the animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin, those bodies are burned outside the camp. But our Jesus was also kind of burned outside the camp. <laughs> Therefore, Jesus also suffered outside the city gate in order to sanctify the people by his own blood. In other words, let's not forget that the cross is our best altar. Everybody get that? The cross is our best altar. On the cross, Jesus was sacrificed, and at that same altar, the cross, we too are asked to be living sacrifices. You remember that we are asked to take up our own crosses, right? How do you understand that language of taking up your own cross? How do you understand your life, yourself, to be identified with the one who sacrificed everything at this particular altar. How, how do you understand that? Well, here's how I want you to understand it. I understand myself to be doing something similar with my life that Jesus was doing with his. Friends, <laughs> does it get any more simple than this? Are we, are you, am I, are we doing with our lives what Jesus was doing with his? Does the language of sacrifice describe the way that we are going about faith? Or what words would you use to describe the faith walk, the faith life that you are living? I am guarding the gates, John, with my faith. Are you? Does God need your guarding? I think God would be all right. Well, I, I am getting it right. Are you? I think what we're meant to do is carry our own crosses. So good, Nazarene, Christian people, are you? Are we? Am I? Are we employing suffering love with the confidence that the very employment of suffering love changes things even if I don't see it today? Are you? with that pesky neighbor. Yeah, yeah, I'm talking about the pesky neighbor. I'm talking about the insufferable coworker because everybody knows who that is. Please don't point though. I'm talking about with, that, with that, that tough to deal with family member. But friends, I'm talking about more than just your interpersonal relationships. There are fractures in our society that require the presence of God via the people of God. You're not leaving that to me, are you? It's okay, John, you got this. You, you, I mean, I don't know what pastors do anyway. 
I mean, don't you have a day off? Can't you spend those days trying to help restore the streets and the repair of the breaches and stuff? Hear, hear me say it. And I know I'm talking to busy, talented people who are probably busy because they're talented. What we do in here is meant to shape you to repair the breaches out there, to restore streets out there. If you think that you are checking the last box that you need to check by just showing up and singing the songs and knowing when to raise your hands, you are and we are and the world is worse off because of it. Well, John, I can't quit my job. No, just, just do it as someone who carries his or her own cross to work. You got to ask yourself, what does it look like to carry my cross to work? Even if you work at a church, <laughs> what does it look like to carry my cross, to employ suffering love? What does it look like to go public with faith that was never meant to be private? Ah, it's just between me and God. Never meant to be between just you and God. Never was meant to be between just you and God. The author of Hebrews is saying to these frightened people, it was never meant to be kept behind closed doors. If faith works, it works in public. Let us then go to him outside the camp and bear the abuse he endured. Uh, if you're visiting today, thank you so much for coming. <laughs> These had to be troubling words for the original audience. Public faith meant public pushback, ridicule, persecution. Can't we, John, can't we keep it in here where it's safe for the good people seem to always gather? Can't we limit our expressions of faith to space within these walls? You know, the singing, the, the loud amens, the giving and the greeting. But the author here says, no, it's not the faith of our ancestors. It's not the answer to the calling of God until or unless it moves out there where real life happens. You can't complete the cycle of faith in here. And yet, what we do here is crucially and critically important. But this is not the end. This is not the end. If anything, this should be understood as the beginning. To follow Christ means to follow Christ where Christ goes. To sacrifice as Christ sacrifices. To love as Christ loves. Yes, we learn and are shaped here, but we make good on the promises God makes to us and the promises we make to God out there. And this is what it's supposed to look like. Let mutual love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing that, some have entertained angels without knowing it. Uh, so this is a great place for me to say, we really still need more people on these teams. One of them is called a hospitality team. If you will please contact any of us, actually, but Britt is the one who's helping to organize this stuff because we need to make sure that we have a hospitable campus. What is just as important, if not more so, is that you're hospitable where you live, where you get your mail. Are you practicing hospitality in that life as well? Yes, we need you to help us to be hospitable here. And maybe by being hospitable here, you will learn the skills of hospitality that can be employed out there. 
So this is what it looks like when faith spills over the tops of the walls. When it goes out there, it looks like hospitality, hospitality. This week we had another Breaking Bread event. Uh, and if you don't know, if you're not familiar with these events, here's, here's what we're trying to do. What we try to do is we try to gather uh, faith and community leaders from different ethnicities, and we bring everybody together and we ask important questions like, why do we not know one another better? Now, it's all done against this backdrop of shouldn't we be a safer, healthier society? What does this have to do with criminal justice reform? Well, I, I think it has everything to do. If I know the other better, I'm less likely to fear the other. There's going to be more connection between us, perhaps more synergy and collaboration between us. And when there is synergy and relationship and friendship and collaboration, there's less crime. Does everybody know that? <laughs> It's better when we know one another and we don't fear one another. So we had this event this past week. It was great. Now, it always ends, the stars of the show, you might say, are the discussion questions that we have around these tables. And the last question went something like this. When was the last time you invited someone into your home who didn't look like you? It's important for us to ask at our house. When's the last time you invited somebody? Yes, to coffee is great. Yep, do it, do it. But when's the last time you invited somebody into your home that didn't look like you? I'm starting to sound political. You have got to calm down. This is the gospel. I like that. See, it's another good one. This is the gospel. The gospel is not meant for the hereafter to the exclusion of the here. <laughs> Part of the ways that we, one of the ways that we help to embody this new kind of kingdom and this new kind of hope is by inviting people into our homes who don't look like us. Okay. Remember those who are in prison. This is more than just sitting here and remembering them, right? You know that, right? We, we must have something to do with a broken system because does everybody know that the system is broken? Remember those who are in prison as though you were in prison with them. I bet you would have <laughs> some thoughts about the broken system if you were the one in prison. Those who are being tortured as though you yourselves were being tortured. That has gotten very, very personal all of a sudden, right? It's almost as if the author meant for it to be personal. This week, I got a, a note from one of our parishioners who said, Pastor, can I organize some sort of an effort, maybe a ministry, that would allow us to come alongside and encourage the families of folks who are going to be executed, but also come alongside the families of those who were victimized, somebody was killed, probably the reason somebody's on death row, right? What would it look like for a church, for Christian people to come alongside both the accused, potentially executed, and their families, but also the victims and their families? One of our numbers said, hey, can I organize that? A grateful pastor said, yeah, you can. 
Because I think that's what it looks like when it spills out onto the street. Do I want us to remember folks in here? Yes. But again, if the practice of faith only exists between your ears, then the practice of faith doesn't exist. So quiet. Kurt, they're not always this quiet. Sometimes they're really loud. This is my friend, Kurt Foster. Good to have you, buddy. Then he says, let the marriage bed, let the marriage bed be held in honor by all and let the marriage bed be kept undefiled. For God will judge fornicators and adulterers. With this in the next statement, here's what he's going to say. He's going to say, look, desires, desires for relationship, connection, intimacy, even sex, and money, and profit. These things aren't bad in and of themselves, but they must be harnessed somehow. And Christianity is a good way to harness them because I think we can look out into our culture and see that about half of the marriages are failing right now, right? You're going to be odd if you stay married before too long. But we are people of covenant who practice covenant. If we're going to spill outside of the walls and be a force out there and have voice out there, God says, well, then make sure as you go out there that you let the marriage, let marriages be held in honor by all and let the marriage bed be kept undefiled. God will judge those who break covenant. He's speaking to Christian people. And keep your lives free from the love of money and be content <laughs> with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And the God who says, I will never leave you or forsake you, should be the source of that contentment. It's not that making money, it's not that profit making is in and of itself a bad thing. But it is easily an idol, is it not? And when it becomes an idol, then it becomes a destructive thing, especially when it's the people of God who are meant to spill into the streets, especially when it's the people of God who are understood as those who idolize prophets, P-R-O-F-I-T. Through him, through Jesus then, let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God that is, the fruit of lips that confess his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So here's what we have heard today. Worship cannot be contained to the sanctuary. I mean, you probably are like me. If someone asks me, uh, when is worship, right? I'm gonna say, oh, it's at 10.30. It's at 10.30 on Sunday mornings here at the church. Oh, okay. Well, when in the service does the worship happen? Oh, well, that's when Tamara gets up and leaves us, leads us so well. And, but even then, I am giving voice to a faulty theology. Here's, here's what the author of Hebrews wants to say to us. No, no, no. <laughs> the full expression of your worship, the full expression of your praise, yes, has a lot to do with what happens here. And I'll say it again. What happens here is crucial. And you probably ought to make it more than once a month. But the fullest expression of praise and worship happens out there when with your body you demonstrate 
whether or not what we say in here is true. It matters how you go to work. Hospitality is an important word wherever the Christian is, not just here at your church. Empathy, empathy is an important element, ingredient in social policy making. I'm telling you. Empathy is, is great. It's great when it's employed here, and I have seen it in beautiful ways this week. We had a beautiful meeting just this past week to show us the power of empathy. And I'm trying to say to anybody who will listen, that same empathy can be a force for good, even as it has to do with making good policy. Hopefully that's my contribution as a person of God. We have said fidelity is important. Hopefully you understand that fidelity and faithfulness is important, not just when you attend church and you can say, I'm still married faithfully. <laughs> Do I get an award for being married and being faithful? But out there, people seeing people of covenant being people of covenant is a powerful thing. Generosity, we rehearse it here in the hopes that we are rehearsed toward a posture out there. Worship is never completed here. Worship finally has to be embodied if what we say and what we sing and what we pray is true. So in here, we remember and we rehearse and nowhere is our remembering and our rehearsing more poignant and purposeful than when we gather around the table. So if you are helping us today, please come. If you are visiting with us today, we do this every week. We take communion by intention every single week. Let me explain to you what this is going to look like in a moment. I will ask you to stand to your feet, to exit your pew to the left. Now, this is all of you who want to participate. If you don't want to participate, none are compelled. All are invited, but none are compelled. It's okay. But if you want to, if you will stand to your feet, exit your pew to the left, and then come forward with your hands cupped. This is an important part of what we do. This is part of the shaping and the training for life outside these walls. You come forward with your hands cupped to someone holding a plate of bread. That person will take a piece of that bread, press it into your hands and say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. You then take that piece of bread, you dip it into the cup. Someone standing right there will be holding a cup. When you do, that person will say, and this is the blood of Christ, shed for you, and then take and eat, and then take and eat. And then I hope you'll find a place to pray. You have a few options. You can come to one of these side padded altars. If you do, we will assume that you are there for a prayer for healing, and someone will meet you there and pray that prayer. It might be physical healing that you seek, mental, emotional, relational, familial, we can pray all those prayers and anoint you with oil meant to signify and communicate to you the clingy presence of the Spirit in your life. But perhaps you want to come to one of these mourner's benches, these kneeling benches up front. We won't assume anything, but somebody at some point will come and touch you on the back, the neck, the shoulder, just so you know, just so you know you're not alone because you are not alone. Or you can circle all the way back around and sit at your seat. That's perfectly fine and acceptable. But I do hope, if that's the choice, that you will actually sit and pray. And here's the prayer that I hope you will pray. God, what does worship look like when the service is over? What does my life of worship look like 
as I'm leaving here, as I go to my real and normal life? What does worship look like then? Help me to know. You may want to make a special trip to this bowl. It's a bowl of, right now, very still water. And if you come and you dip your fingers into this bowl, here's what we hope will happen, that it will jog your memory and you'll remember the moment of your baptism to remember that you were included amongst this group of people, a people with a particular calling to change the world. So Heavenly Father, bless these elements. Bless these elements, God, and with them, simple pieces of bread, simple sips from this cup. With these elements, God, shape us to be people who worship everywhere and not just here, but remind us that our capacity and the resources we need to worship everywhere begin here, begin with your heart, begin with a story like this one that demonstrates on a weekly basis that you have given yourself to us, you have extended yourself to us in the hopes that we can be so shaped that we can extend ourselves to others. So in a moment, I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet. But if you would like to participate, but you're not yet ready to come and take part in this pretty public sort of thing, if you need some individually wrapped elements, you'll see that the people in the aisles who will dismiss you by row, they have some of those prepackaged elements they are now blessed, and then once you get one of those, if you prefer to take communion that way, you're ready just to go ahead and unwrap it and take it right then and there. It works just the same. For everybody else, all across the sanctuary, hear this ritual. It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Savior took bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. And every time you eat of it, including today, remember me. Same way he would take the cup and hold it up before them and say, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant shed for you. And every time you drink of it, including today, remember me. And now if you would, across the sanctuary, stand to your feet. Those of you who would, exit your pews to the left and come forward to receive these gifts of God meant for the people of God.
offer a few words of prayer, a prayer of confession before turning it over to Jason who will take us through prayers of intercession before closing us with the Lord's Prayer. Heavenly Father, we confess that sometimes we're the people who wish that it could all just happen here within these walls. Sometimes, God, we're the people who are conflicted by what happens outside of these walls, the images we see on our screens. Sometimes we're the people who are perhaps some days intoxicated by the way that they define success or intimidated to play the game. Remind us, God, that we have all we need. Remind us that in the story that we just remembered and rehearsed around the table, remind us that we have all we need to be the people you dream for us to be, to be the people who are worshiping with every moment. Remind us, God, that you are all we need. And so now I'm gonna get out of the way and allow you the space to pray this prayer of confession. God. Where have I fallen short of a life of worship? session. May the Almighty God have mercy on all of us. Forgive us all our sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen us in all goodness, and by the power of the Spirit, keep us in eternal life. And as we move towards these moments of prayers of intercession, you can continue to take whatever posture of prayer that can be around these altars, that can be at your couch at home, in your seat. And in these moments, you can pray for whatever need is greatest in your life and those needs that you care about in your city and world. But would you join with me in prayer as we pray for a few folks and situations, life of our church that needs God's healing touch. And so Jesus, as we gather in these moments of intercessory prayer, we ask that even now you would come alongside of your servant, Linda Weaver, as she faces surgery tomorrow morning at 7.30. And so God, we ask for your healing in her life, that you would be with her, that her daughters as they prepare to take her and be with her tomorrow, you'd be with Jennifer and Lisa. And God, we ask for the healing for the cancer in Linda Weaver's life. If in these moments you know someone in your life who is battling cancer, would you please pray for them? And God, we ask for your continued healing in the life of our friends Scott Peterson and Diane Dawkins. God, we ask that you would come alongside of those who can need your continued healing, like our friend Mike Williams. Would you be with Mike as he's recovering from heart procedures this week, home from the hospital, but ask God you'd be with him and Karen and his family. God, we ask you'd be with Shane Coward's dad, Vern, as he continues to recover from his open heart surgery and ask for your continued good news and healing in his life. God, we thank you for those who you're touching and we ask for your continued healing in the life of Ben Clipper. And so grateful to see Jordan Park here this morning. God, would you continue to bring her healing and strength 
and be by her side. God, we ask you to be with all those who have endured loss. And God, we think of Llewellyn Schlegel. You may not know her, but she has been a hugger and a rocker of our babies for years and years. And God, we ask that you be with her in the loss of her mother and her father. God, we ask that you be with the family of James Coddington, who was put to death this week. And God, you would be with those who love James and have come alongside of his family. God, we pray for all of those who face, as Pastor John mentioned, those 24 individuals who face the death penalty over the next two years in Oklahoma. We ask God you'd be with them, and we ask God you'd be with the victims that they have perpetrated against. And God, we ask, even in those moments, in a few moments, we ask that you would forgive our debts and debtors, that you would do the same for those who are on death row. God, we pray for all who are incarcerated, all who are lonely, all who need you. God, we ask that you would continue to be with my friend Matthew Larson and come alongside of him. There are so many more needs in the life of the church. And God, we ask for those who are brokenhearted to know your love. And together, church, before we pray the Lord's Prayer, could we all pray for this, that heart that is heavier than all of our hearts, whether that person's watching online or here in the sanctuary. We together as a church pray that God, your love and strength and healing would come alongside of that one who needs you the most. For we don't know what all of us carry when we come into this room. And so God, we ask for your love and comfort, no matter where we are in our life this morning, that even during these moments, that your love would reach us in a very special way. And may this ritual that we pray be one that transforms us. And would you pray together with me the Lord's Prayer? It'll be on the screen in front of you. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.